Acts chapter 19, verse 18 says this, And many who had believed came, confessing and telling their deeds, and also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for just that one phrase, Lord, that the word of the Lord prevails. It prevails, Lord, your word. No matter how much we have for us or against us, Lord, your word prevails. I pray that you would show that to us this morning. I know, Lord, that there's men and women in this room. They're in some kind of thing, Lord, where they need to see and understand. Their hearts need to embrace by faith that your word prevails. It overcomes we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, once again, a couple of weeks ago, we gave out that Stop and Think DVD, and I just have loved some of the stories that you all have been sharing with me about folks you've shared the DVD with, and so keep them coming. If you have a story, I'd like to hear them. Also want to, I think Dave mentioned this, but we do have a baptism this Saturday night, and baptism is a wonderful testimony. It's a reflection on the outside of what's happened on the inside in our heart. And so if you have never been baptized after believing in Jesus, why don't you speak with me after the service? I got baptized as an infant, and then as I began to read the Bible, in fact, in Acts chapter 19, uh, you see people who were baptized at one point at the beginning of the chapter, and I realized Apostle Paul told him, you need to be baptized again. That's what happened with me. And, uh, you know, infants don't know what's going on when they're baptized. And the Bible says that baptism is a choice that we make, not a choice that our parents make, but a choice that we make when we're taking an affirmative decision to make a decision for the Lord. And so if you've never been baptized, speak. Uh, with me about that. But Acts chapter 19. And so, you know, we're seeing here the fulfillment in the book of Acts of what Jesus said. And we've talked about this a number of times. What Jesus said in Matthew 28, right before he was taken up to, to heaven, he said, Go unto all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples of all nations, he said. And, you know, we don't have to imagine what that looks like to see people go off and what, what that would have looked like to, to see people obey that command. We have it in the book of Acts. We see firsthand. We read firsthand. That's why the book of Acts is here in the Bible. Uh, so we can see firsthand. What does that look like to do that, to go and make disciples of all nations, and uh, we've seen that in the last six chapters as 
uh, Paul going from city to city. He's starting churches. He's making disciples of many nations, meaning he's making disciples of men and women from many different nations. And uh, Paul and others were baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Last week, we arrived with Paul at the city of Ephesus. Now, all these cities are in the Roman Empire, and each city they go into, they, they all have their own thing, their own unique thing about them. Athens in chapter 16, uh, the thing there was philosophy, so-called progressive thinking. If you remember Acts 17, verse 21, it says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I mean, they just hung out and talked about philosophy or whatever. In chapter 18, they were in Corinth. And what did it say about Corinth? Well, it is the sex, it was rather the sex capital of the world. Kind of like a Bangkok or an Amsterdam, only much worse. Romans from all over the empire used to flock there. There was a temple dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of sensuality. Chapter 19, Paul arrives in Ephesus. Ephesus has a very, or had a very different identity associated with it. Although it had its own goddess of sensuality, Diana, more on her later, it was a place renowned for the occult, the occult. And I quoted one of the historians, a historian who says this of Ephesus. He said, magicians and and astrologers swarmed her streets. Can you just imagine that? (laughs) Magicians and astrologers swarmed her streets. I wonder what that looked like. Like warlocks running around with these little two-pat things? I mean, I, I, I don't know. He goes on to describe, and there was a brisk trade in charms, incantations, books of divination, rules for interpreting dreams. And, and so each city had its thing. In Ephesus, it was the occult. Now, there can hardly be an environment more dangerous to the human soul than that. We knew that firsthand from the work that we do in Haiti. There can hardly be an environment more oppressive to people. When a man or woman opens themselves up to the uh, occult, there's a very real demonic enemies that will come in and just take over and put souls in bondage. In Ephesus, it was just loaded with this type of thing. That was their thing. And, and who comes into the scene around 55 AD? The Apostle Paul. So how's a guy like Paul going to deal with an environment like that? Well, who is with him? Who is with Paul? Okay, some disciples, some followers of Jesus. Uh, but none of them were exorcists. The Bible doesn't, by the way, has no office of an exorcist. That's like a Hollywood thing. There's no exorcist uh, or things also that people tried to practice. We saw that in the book of Acts last week. But um, who else was with Paul? 
Who else was with him who could possibly help him in this intensely dark and spiritually dangerous environment? Anybody? Matthew 28. I've already quoted it. Jesus says, he said this. He said, go into all the world making disciples of all nations. What do you say after that? And I will be with you always, even unto the end of the earth. I will be with you. So who else was with Paul when he entered Ephesus? Jesus was. And, when, and, and, and by the way, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus says, that he himself will come inside of you. When you leave this room, wherever it is that you're going... Jesus goes with you. Paul, when he's frustrated with the Corinthians, and he almost gets the sense that he's shaking him at the very end of the chapter, he says in chapter uh, 13, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, he says, do you not know that Jesus Christ lives in you? Come on, guys, you've got to get this one. And you guys got to get this too. You've got to get this. That Jesus Christ lives within you. We receive, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit when we receive the Lord. And when we receive the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit, we receive Christ. And so, with all that said, so what does it mean for a city like Ephesus, which is just overflowing with this occult, spiritual stuff, when uh, a guy, Paul, and his born-again companions come in? What does it mean for a city like Ephesus? Well, it, let's take a short diversion here. Let's just go back to the book of Matthew. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 8, and it kind of gives us an idea here of a clash that takes place when a band of people like that come into a city like Ephesus. Matthew chapter 8, that's one book to the left, rather, rather Matthew 8, Matthew 8, one book to the left of the book of Acts. Let's read verse 28. This is Jesus here. He's ta- he had just, uh, they had come across, he and the disciples had come across the Sea of Galilee. There was an enormous storm. Jesus rebuked the waves. There was total calm. And at the, in verse 27, the, the disciples are marveling. They say, who can this be that even the winds and the waves obey him? And, and so then it goes, it says in verse 28, when he had come to the other side to the country of the Gergesenes, some of you, your translation will say Gadarenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass the way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now these were not the two men speaking to him. These were demons speaking to him. It says in verse 30, now a good way off from there, there was a herd of many swine feeding, pigs. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go 
away into the herd of swine. And he, Jesus, said to them, go. And what happened? Away they went into that, uh, that, that, that herd of pigs, the swine. And then they just run and, and, and they just go into the, the sea there. Uh, a strange account uh, there that, you know, we're, we're not as used to that type of thing in our polite company in the United States of America. But what it does, it shows us a very real look into what happens when Jesus confronts a city like Ephesus. And so, um, again, Jesus said, when he said, go into all the worlds, make disciples of all nations, and I will be with you. So when Paul and those guys went in there, who was with them? Jesus. And what did, by the way, did Jesus say before in Matthew 28, right before Jesus said, go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What, what did he say before? Yeah, he said after, he said, I will be with you. What did he say right immediately before he said that? Anyone? All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey, obey everything that I have commanded you, and I will be with you. So all authority, and we just saw it, right? We just saw all that authority in, in Matthew 8, just a word, go, one word, go. They were gone, those demons. So what does it mean that when Paul and his companions who have Jesus Christ living inside of them, they come into Ephesus, the city swarming with magicians and astrologers with all kinds of demonic weirdness and stuff going on? What does it mean? It means there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some pain in the demonic realm. And, 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 and so in verse 11, of back in chapter 19 of Acts, if you just go back to the book of Acts, We read this, this unusual couple of verses here. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Go. That's all that needed to be said. And so... In the next few verses after that, we have again saw some things last week as we read it, read that we're not so used to reading about when we open up the Boston Globe in the morning. You know, some demons overpower and pummel some unbelievers uh, who did not have Jesus Christ inside of them. And in and, and verse 17, it says, this became known to both all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. Now listen, don't miss this. The backdrop of all of this, you know, there's all this stuff's going on. You know, demons are being cast out. People are being healed. All the, demons are attacking other people who are unbelievers. And ha- just prevailing, the word is used, meaning they're having their way with them. They have absolutely no power against them. The backdrop of all this is every day for two years, Paul had been teaching. In the, right in the middle of, uh, of Ephesus, every single day, declaring the wonderful, life-saving message of freedom through a relationship with Jesus Christ. No doubt, quoting the words of Jesus himself. If the Son of Man sets you free, you'll be free indeed. 
every day, declaring that word. And, 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 then, and so no wonder that it says in verse 18, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds, and many of those who practiced magic brought their books. Now, remember books then. We're not like books today. You can pick them up, whatever, at the you know, five and dime shop for 99 cents. Then a book was like bringing in your diamond watches. Extremely expensive. And it says, that, uh, verse 19, many of them br- pr- who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So here... You have these people who are making just a clean break with their past. Listen, when a, poor, a person is born again, the, Jesus says you're born once through your, out of your mother's womb. You're born again spiritually uh, as, a, you know, as a conscious decision when you give your life to Christ. And when a, when a person is born again, the Lord does a deep work in their hearts. And, and, and listen... When that happens to a man or woman, they want out. They want out of the darkness. They, they, they want the light. They want to walk in the light. And that is what begins to happen in, the, in Ephesus. And, and here in verse 19, you just you, you see this happening. God, just take this stuff. Take it. I'm tired of it. I don't want it anymore. I, I, I'm tired of what it does to me and everybody around me. Just take it, Lord. And he does. God takes it. And verse 20 says, And so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, meaning it overcame. Everything it came in contact with, it overcame. So then in verses 21 and 22, we see Paul leaving Ephesus. He comes back. He, in verse 23, he's back in Ephesus. Verse 23, let's pick it up there. It says, And at about that time, Verse 23 of of Acts chapter 19. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. The way meaning Christianity. They called it the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they called it the way. Verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Meaning, we make our living as silversmiths making little idols, silver idols, of Diana. Verse 26, moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised. And her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Verse 28. Now when they heard this, they were filled with wrath, anger. And they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion. 
and rushed into the theater. And with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companion. So they, they seized a bunch of followers of Jesus. And, and a riot has, has been stirred up here. And, and so what's happening? Well, the city of Ephesus had a matron goddess named Diana, a goddess of fertility. And there was a temple dedicated to Diana right in the middle of the city. The temple was massive. It was bigger than a football field. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Diana. Actually, we, do, we, do we have a picture of this? We, I, we, we have a, a replication of it. E- sort of, kind of, in the shade you can see there. It was gigantic, and uh, thank you, uh, and it was as big as a football field, if you can imagine that, right in the middle of of, of this city. And and people would come from all over Asia to this temple, as in uh, any other pilgrimage type of place. There were souvenir types of shops, only they didn't call them souvenirs. They were little idols, little silver idols. You pick them up, you take them back home, and you'd stick them on your counter or whatever. And these silversmiths, this is how they made their living. They were manufactured here. Well, Paul and his companions come into Ephesus. They declare the word of God. Men and women give their life to Christ. They become free of the bondage associated with those little idols and the whole lifestyle behind the idols which was sexual promiscuity and just um, all the gory, earthy stuff associated with a a, a pagan idol. And and, and listen, you know, once the Lord has come into your life and filled that void that only he can fill, you don't need silly little trinkets of Diana anymore. (laughs) You don't need that. Once the Lord has come into your life and, and filled that void that only he can fill, you don't need little silly trinkets of Diana. You don't need to get sloshed at the local bar. You don't need to go to the movie theaters and, and fill your mind with, uh, with sensuality and violence. You don't need to go from guy to guy to guy to guy, from girl to girl to girl to girl. You don't need to be married to your career. You don't need that. Why? Because the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Anyone who who is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20, is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And, and guess what? The new comes with all kinds of new desires. Desires to walk after the things of, uh, of the Lord. And, and, and so, you know, not only did they not need in Ephesus all this old stuff, stuff anymore. They didn't even want it. That's the wonderful thing about the deep rooting work that God does in a human heart. 
You don't even need those idols anymore, but you don't want them or anything that has to do with them. I love Romans 6.1. Paul asks this question in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let me repeat that question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What did he mean by that? He was just saying this. Since we've been forgiven of all our sins by Jesus, past, present, and future, why shouldn't we just like go out, live it up, get sloshed, party like maniacs, and throw off all our inhibitions and live hog wild? If we've been forgiven for everything, past, present, and future, why not do that? What did he say in verse 2? He said, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In other words, are you crazy? I was saved from that life. I know how ugly it was. I know what it did to me and everyone who uh, around me. I'm not going back there. That's what grace does. And so the men and women in Ephesus stopped buying these silver idols of D- Diana, not only because they knew they didn't need it anymore, because they didn't want it. They didn't want the silver idols. They didn't want the temple. They didn't want the whole life that associated with the temple, you know, the same kind of temple prostitution that was in Corinth, all that thing. They didn't want it anymore. They turned aside from that life, and they stopped buying those silly little silver gods, those idols. And man, did those silversmiths have an issue with that. You know, it's amazing when you take a close look at the relationship between a human being and an idol. I want to do that for just a second now. I want to take a real close look at what the relationship looks like between a human being and an idol. These idols in Ephesus, for example, the, the, the idols that prevailed in that city before Paul and his, his companions got there. These idols involving the worship of the occult, the, the worship of fertility, sensuality, sex, all they did was take, 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 take from people. That's all they did. Take, 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 take. They took their money, they took their dignity, they took their joy, their health, their souls. They, they take so much, but they give nothing back. Jesus Christ is precisely the opposite. He gives, 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 and gives. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, I came to give you life and give you it more abundantly. I love Matthew chapter 12, verse 12. It, it's an astonishing verse. It says this, for, for whoever has, has what? Has eternal life through Christ. Whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have in more abundance. But to he, to he, to he who has little, even that will be taken away. It's a classic contrast between a relationship with idols and a relationship with Christ. With idols, the little you have, it'll be taken away from you. With Christ, 
what you have, even more will be given, and then even in abundance. Romans 8.32 is a classic verse, which everyone quotes on this subject. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us, what? All things. You know, we have nothing to offer God. That's what's so amazing. We really have nothing to offer God other than our faith. We have nothing really to give, but he does. What does he do in return? He gives, 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 and gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And once he gives, the, he, he adds to that mustard seed of faith, that gift you have in your life, and he, he, he adds unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And he will add unto you. And all these things he'll add unto you. And what a contrast to uh, idols. I think of the idols in the United States of America. And I think of the relationship that Americans have to those idols. The kind of idols that do nothing but take, 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 take. You know, I think of the idol in this country, the idolatry of beauty. In this country. Now something I think a lot about. I have four daughters. And this, this idol is put in their face every single day. Every billboard. Everything on the internet. that They turn on the TV in their face constantly. Kind of like the, the, the goddess of, uh, of Diana. You know the, the massive temple in the city. Little altars around the city. In their face, wherever they went, same thing in America, in virtually every commercial, every billboard, perfectly sculpted bodies with goddess-like faces with huge smiles plastered on them. They're always having just like this incredible time. They get hunks hanging all over them. And all they do is take, 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 and take. The billions of dollars that Americans spend on this idol, not only on beauty products, Botox, fitness centers, plastic surgery, but the hundreds of millions of dollars that Americans spend on antidepressants and other medications when we despair because we fall so incredibly short of what this idol wants from us. Of course, I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of our bodies. We're stewards of God's bodies. We need to take care of them. I'm not talking about staying in shape or, or blessing our husbands and wives, you know, with, with, with our bodies. We need to do that. But the idolatry of beauty and sensuality in this country, your money, your time, your heart, your soul, your preoccupation, and guess what? Your hair will never be glossy enough. Your skin will never be smooth enough. You're, you'll never be skinny enough. Your curves will never have the lines you should have. Your height, your weight, they'll never be what this idol wants. And here's the key. This idol will never accept you just the way you are. But guess what? The Bible says... Not so with God. Not so with God. 
You know, we've, we've just went through this incredible study through the Song of Solomon. Just an amazing book in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament. And I shared some things from the Song of Solomon um, a few weeks ago. In the Song of Solomon, uh, there's this wonderful picture of God's love for the church and God's love for you as represented in the love relationship between a husband and a wife. Now remember, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, Paul says what? He says, this is a mystery, but the husband and wife is a representation of God's relationship with the church. And as we went through the Song of Solomon, we saw this progression. In the very beginning of the book, the woman... She's betrothed in the first couple of chapters. She's not married yet. She's very insecure. She doesn't feel worthy, uh, you know, of, of the love of her husband. But we see that he just really spends his life on her, blesses her, loves her. And by the end of the book, chapter 8, verse 10, what does she say? She says, I am as the one who has found peace. But again, it didn't begin that way. In in the first chapter of of the Song of Solomon, I think I brought this up a couple weeks ago, uh, the woman's literally telling this guy, the king, she's saying, don't look at me. In the NIV it says, don't stare at me. Why did she say that? She said, because my brothers made me a keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I did not keep. I neglected. She's saying, I I don't have a body that's worthy of being loved. And how does he respond to that? He responds to her in chapter 1. He says that, She is the most beautiful of women. Now listen, it took a lot more than that, though. He had to go well beyond that to convince this woman that he really loved her. And it took not only his words, but his actions. But as we read through the different things that uh, he said to her, now some of the things sort of made a scratch our heads. You know, some of the things made sense. For example, he, he says to her, your lips are like a strand of scarlet. Your curve, the curves of your thighs are like jewels. The fragrance of your breath is like apples. That starts getting a little weird. He goes, the hair of your head is like purple. But then, then it really goes south. He, he, he said, your waist is a heap of wheat. <laughs> your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. I don't know, guys, if you want to try that one. <laughs> but here's the most unbelievable one. Your navel is like a rounded goblet. Your navel... Anyone know what that is? It's your belly button. Your belly button (laughs) is like a rounded goblet. 
so listen, you know, the commentators, they, 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 they go back and forth about what all this really means. I want to tell you what I think it means. I am being dead serious. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think it means. I think this woman was a little plump. And, he's, and he says to her, you know, your waist is a heap of wheat. In other words, look at, don't you worry about it. I like the way you are. I think that she thought her nose was on the large side. And he said, cool out. Your nose to me, it's like the Tower of Lebanon. In other words, don't. Don't try to change things that you cannot change. I love you. Remember, this is a picture between God and you, God and me, Jesus Christ and his love for you. So what do we make of your navel, your belly button? It's like a rounded goblet. Well, here's what my theory is. I think she had an Audi button. And I, I, I think she was really insecure with this thing. And he's like, look, it's like a rounded goblet to me. I told, I would, I told my wife I was going to share this with you, and she said, do not share that with him. I, she doesn't have an, an Audi button. That's not why. Not that there's anything wrong with an Audi button, but, but you know. And if you have one, your, your husband, ladies, will love it, you know. But, uh, uh, but, but listen, you know, the, the point is, is that this is how God accepts us, you know, from time to time. Uh, you know, my wife has freckles. I love her freckles. I'm mad. If she ever showed up one day, oh, I got my freckles surgically removed. I'd be devastated. But sometimes I have people, you know, I, have, you know I, I speak to young women, I have all these freckles. Is a guy ever going to fall in love with Are you kidding me? He's going to be madly in love with them. And, 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 you know, this is, can you see the contrast in a relationship between a human being and an idol? The contrast between that and a human being with the living God? Who just accepts us just the way we are? Even our flaws and foibles? Now, obviously, there's certain things about our character that he wants to change. He loves us that much. He doesn't want to stay where we are in terms of our character and our walk. But oh, the difference, the contrast between... The United States America's idol of beauty and how it just sucks the life out of the men and women of this country. And what God has for us. He just wants to give, 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 and give. And so, you know, a wonderful picture really before our eyes in Ephesus of, of what happens, you know, they start just, the, the, the love that they're getting from the Lord Jesus Christ is just so infinitely better <laughs> than what they were getting from the idols, which was nothing at all. They just left the idols behind. Silversmiths don't like that. 
Now, these Christians had been there for two years already, and kind of like in cities, big, big cities, because this was a big, big city, Ephesus was, you know, you can basically look whatever, uh, and, and people will just look at you and go, oh, that's normal, you know, whatever you're dressing or looking like, you know, and, and, and in Ephesus, it was like, yeah, I don't mind, you guys have that silly little smile on your face, you like uh, feeding the poor, you know, taking care of the sick, that's, that's all fine, loving your enemies, but hey. You hit our pocketbook. And, and, and it, they, it stirred up a, a, a riot here. So let's just, uh, just uh, finish this out here. It says in verse 30 that Paul wanted to go into the people. So Paul wanted to address these people, the disciples. But it says that the disciples would not allow him. In verse 31, it says, Then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent into him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. And some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. So that's how riots are, right? Half of them don't even know what they're writing about. Verse 33, And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting... Uh, him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So for two hours, they were just overwhelming uh, the city and not letting anyone else speak. Verse 35, and when the city clerk, think the mayor, when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? So Diana was, uh, just fell out of Zeus's mouth or something. That's how those Greek god, gods were, and she was created, and she fell in Ephesus, and you know... Uh, ever since then, she's been the matron goddess, all a myth, of course. But verse 36, therefore, since these things cannot be denied, meaning that, look, our goddess is Diana in the city, and no one can deny that, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers or temples, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Now, that's really interesting. Uh, Underline that. Paul hadn't gone into the city and wagged his finger at this temple. Oh, that's such a terrible pagan temple. Heathens, look at that temple. You need to reject. None of that. says he was not a blasphemer of the goddess. What did he do? He wasn't known for what he was against. Paul was known for what he was for. What? A relationship with Jesus Christ. He just gave him the truth. You don't have to be preoccupied, brothers and sisters, with going out into the world and telling them what's wrong with them, what's wrong with the world. Just give them the gospel. Give them Jesus Christ. The rest, uh, the rest will, uh, uh, God will take care uh, of the rest. Verse 38, therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen, these silversmiths, have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. Let's, let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, 
It shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. So Rome always paid a lot of attention to its cities around the Roman Empire. And man, there's one thing the Romans didn't go for. It was riots, civil unrest. And so he's saying, look, if you guys don't go home, we may get our rights as a free city. They were a free city reneged, and they'd be sort of uh, under much closer restraints and restrictions there of Rome. In verse 41, it says, and when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So the Lord intervenes here and, you know, creates a, a measure of peace there, and the word of God just simply went on again mightily and prevailed. We'll see a letter to this church from Paul later on. It's a thriving church. We find out in the book of Revelation, this church in Ephesus grew to just be a mighty, real powerhouse in terms of its influence of a church. Had some issues. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, church in Ephesus, you're great, you're powerful, but you've lost your first love, me. But we find out that this church really grew and it prevailed. And just a wonderful, to me, just a wonderful picture here of a real work of God in the life of men and women. They first, they toss their books into a great bonfire, but it doesn't stop there. They, they, they start to let go of the areas of their life which they knew were hindering their relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, these idols created a, 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 a big problem there and uh, wound up having a big effect uh, on the city around them. That's what it's like when we are living out our relationship with the Lord. If you have some kind of idol in your life, I don't know what it is, some kind of area in your life that you are holding on to, you got to let it go. Because, you know, frankly, it, it would be a privilege to have the, a riot against the, the body of Christ because of the body of Christ letting go of idols. And, and, and so, hey, God forbid there's a man or woman in this room clinging to an idol and, and stopping that from happening. The, just the privilege of, uh, of, of the world taking notice. And praise the Lord, that's what we want for our lives, right? That, that, that Jesus would be glorified in our, our life, that would be a shining light. And, and Jesus said, you know, a, a, a lamp, you don't cover up a lamp with a basket. No, you put it on a hill. And that's what we want uh, with our lives, is we are discovering just the, the wonderful relationship that we have in Christ. If you have never in your life come to the place where you have put your trust in Jesus, that you, Jesus said, in, in the book of Revelation, he said, I knock at the door of your heart and knock. Or I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you open up the door, I will come in. If you've never opened up the door of your heart and, and let Jesus come in, talk with me after the service. It's just a simple prayer of faith that a relationship with him can begin. Okay, we will pick up next week in Acts chapter 20. If the worship team could come up. Uh, we're going to close with a worship song, but let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, just for who you are. Lord Jesus, as the song goes, you paid it all. You gave it all. And you give and you give and you give more than.
And Father, I just pray that you would draw every single man, woman, and child in here away from idols, whatever they are, that only take, 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 and take, Lord. And you would draw us to yourselves and show us your heart, Lord. That your heart for us is only to give, 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 and give. God, I pray that you show that to me to every man and woman in here, Lord. Father, we just thank you for this relationship that we have with you, that you accept us just the way you are, Lord. You accept us just the way um, we are, Lord. You accept us just the way we are. You look at us, and whether it's, Lord, we're... We're too skinny, too fat, or whatever, Lord. You, you love us. We can't get that kind of love anywhere, Lord. And I just pray that we would grow in our understanding of that love. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.